Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot mic underway. The Wednesday edition has arrived. Bobby Carpenter will be with us in 20 minutes. Much to discuss from the spring football headlines in college football. And I'll ask Bobby if there's a player in this draft at quarterback that he would say, yeah, I'm willing to trade up for that guy. That's coming up in 20 minutes. Clay Travis will be with us normally in the final hour on Wednesday. He's moving up an hour, joins us in uh, hour number two, about an hour and a half from right now. We'll dive into the Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark saga. And we'll do that uh, momentarily as well with some comments made by, by Angel Reese on the I Am Athlete podcast. Nate Bargatze in studio with us. He is back on the show. Looking forward to his show here in Nashville, playing the arenas now, which he just started that tour. And he will be here in Nashville on the 15th. Ahead of that, he's making the rounds. And he joins us here at 6th and Peabody in about two and a half hours. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Nate Bargatze, Hutton, one of our favorites. Um, from small comedy clubs to... Selling out, packing in Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville. Pretty cool ascent for that we, comedian. I and think love was, uh, having Nate in studio with he us. He was about to play a small comedy club here in Nashville when we first met him. It was his first tour. And from there, he's got the Netflix specials. Now Amazon Prime Video is, is on board. And now he's packing arenas instead of small clubs. It's crazy. And it's even tougher to do as a clean comic. Uh, Nate in studio with us later. Chad, the Pac-12, we knew this was going to be a, it is a, a, about, it's a marathon, not a sprint for their new television contract. But a report from CBS and details at outkick.com, they, they have a media rights analyst, Jim Williams on, multi-time Emmy winning producer, who says, yeah, it's going to be difficult for the Pac-12 and the rights to the Pac-12 negotiations to actually show more than 50% of their games on TV. They're going to find a streaming service and everything's almost a la carte from the media groups that will be buying in and selecting a number of games, but not nearly enough to where you have your main TV partner, actually a TV partner, and that spells doom for the Pac-12. It's nuts. The thing about how quickly the fall could be here for the Pac-12. So they go from, we want to add SMU and San Diego State to the conference to now, well, maybe the the Big 12 is actually going to add San Diego State and not even talking about SMU to maybe two of those four corner schools that we discussed, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Colorado Utah, maybe two of those four will leave to, no, maybe all four will bolt Specifically to the Big 12. And also, we've had these statements of solidarity from presidents and ADs in the Pac-12. Oh, we're together. We're united. Well, they're united while the negotiations are happening. When they get word that it's falling apart and they can't get anything from a media rights deal, that solidarity will crumble. And the schools that can get out will do so. 
And the Big 12, for instance, 31 million, 31.6 million is their new media rights agreement, which keeps them afloat and beyond uh, for 2025 moving forward. And 70% of their games will be on their main TV partner. Meanwhile, the Pac-12, whenever the negotiating rights were up or they were starting these discussions, they were trying to get 40 million per year for each member school, each institution. Now they're just trying to match money-wise, forget main TV partner, money-wise, what the Big 12 is going to receive moving forward annually because they want to keep their member schools in the Pac-12 instead of jumping over to the Big 12, which makes a lot of sense for Coach Prime, Colorado, Utah. We certainly know their national presence recently. This is There's, what, 15 months left before the current agreement is up, but... I mean, if you can't negotiate it 15 months out to what it is here, I don't know if there's going to be the, the space, the inventory, where an ESPN and a Fox can find the ways, and I realize there's a channel for everything, but to find the ways to where it makes sense for the Pac-12 to actually survive this. And if you're looking at, uh, if the speculation is true and it's only 50% carriage of your games right now, that's abysmal. Oh, I know. Yeah, and it's not even 50. They can't find a network that'll give them 50. It's crazy how quickly this has fallen apart. And and also just, it goes back to the debate of all of college sports right now, haves versus have-nots, and how quickly a power five became a power two, maybe three, maybe four, if you want to include the ACC. But that fifth being the Pac-12, we knew it was an eventuality that the last place conference in all of this, after all the money was gobbled up by the other ones, would be left out. And we're seeing it quicker than I even expected with the Pac-12 if they can't come up with some some better solution than what they're coming up with right now for a media rights package. In Chicago, speaking of poor media and, and availability on TV packages, the blackout rule needs to change in Major League Baseball. And they've talked about needing that to change moving forward. But an example of why it's so awful is White Sox taking on the Giants, in the stadium where the game is being played, the game is blacked out on the screen in one of these suites. When you see that, when I initially saw this, I'm thinking, is that like, are they clicking on the channel to try to watch the Giants broadcast in Chicago? Because it's uh, the blackout rules are crazy for this area where you have three or four teams that could qualify, but it's normally the Braves. And then nationally, the Giants, I mean, d- across the country, a lot of Giants fans and a lot of these markets where they're living now, not in their home market, they're not able to watch their favorite team play. And I made the point last week on opening day, this is no longer a fan base that cares about the league in general. I, I truly believe that. I think the fans are fans of their team. And when you can't reach your fan in a separate state and market, that's a massive issue for the availability and the the build out of future fans for your franchise and for the league in general. And they make so much money off local uh, television deals. That, that's where they make their biggest chunk is every single team has their own local, they, they have a local TV deal that, that they broadcast at all 162 of their games in some capacity or getting all those games, all of that product to your fan base has been very lucrative for Major League Baseball. The problem is the bubble has burst on that. The regional sports network is going away. Bally's is now bankrupt. Other regional networks are bankrupt. So where do they go? This model doesn't work for everyone. It's worked for Major League Baseball. But I look at blackouts and I think, 
how on earth does this work for the fan and for the team and for the network if you're going to be this ridiculous about the the geography of where games are blacked out and where they're not? It was all bound to erupt one way or the other, and we're seeing it fast now with the these regional sports networks hemorrhaging money and having to file for bankruptcy. So hopefully it leads to a better solution where even if you're paying a little bit of extra money, that you get to see all of your games easily for your team. But it's a mess right now in Major League Baseball. These first two stories we've hit on, Hutton, it's a big inflection point for the Pac-12 and what they're going to be in the broad landscape of sports moving forward. And for Major League Baseball with television consumption, what that's going to look like two, three, four, five years from now, I think it's going to be completely different than the model we're seeing right now. And this is another example that illustrates that point, that something's got to change before it all breaks. Well, but what we're seeing, at least for Major League Baseball, is they're trying to get it right. They're, they've adjusted some of the rules to, to make the game faster, and they've accomplished that with the pitch clock, Jeff. Yeah, the pitch clock has worked, and it's worked tremendously so far. So yesterday, the, the big moment was Manny Machado gets tossed because he's arguing being called out on a pitch clock violation, right? At the eight-second mark, he tries to call a timeout, wasn't granted the timeout, and he ends up getting tossed for arguing it. That was five days and 65 games into this. We had one pitch clock violation. So what this tells me, Hutton, is that everyone in baseball has naturally picked up the pace. Pitchers are going quicker. Batters aren't stepping out and spending much time. They're right in there, hanging in, ready to go. And the quality of the game has not suffered at all. And all that has happened is the game has been played at a more brisk pace, over 20-plus minutes less than a year ago. And we've had no big issues up until yesterday where Manny Machado is messing with his batting gloves at the eight-second mark and realizes what he's doing because it's an old habit, and old habits die hard, and he tries to call timeout, and they don't do it because the clock hit eight. It's almost like a 10-second violation of basketball where you try to call timeout as it's hitting, 20 seconds in college basketball or 14 in the NBA. That's what it looked like with Manny Machado. But overall, this experiment, I think, has worked great. Now, you will see players start to game the system. Baseball is a game of cheating. If there's an advantage to be gained or something you can do with gamesmanship to get around it, you will do it. Example. Example. Absolutely. And now they're going away from that, too, or trying to. Wilson Contreras yesterday for the Cardinals. I'm watching Braves Cardinals. And this one moment in the inning, he just, after a a strike, and it's 0-2, walks to the dugout. And he goes to get pine tar in the on-deck circle. And he did that to give himself a break without having to reset quickly. Uh-huh. So if you leave the batter's box because you're, it looks like you're getting your bat, something's wrong with your bat, getting a new one or fixing it, you could buy yourself time at any point right now. There's nothing to allow for that unless an umpire just said cut it out at some point. But he went to go put more pine tar on his bat in the on-deck circle. It looked like he thought he was out on the second strike. I mean, he swung and missed and just darted for the dugout and I'm thinking, does he not know how many strikes there were? Did he think that was a third strike? No. Went to the on-deck circle to put pine tar on it. Point being, batters that really want to take their time, that feel like they're being hindered in some way because of this new rule, they're going to find tricky ways to get that time back. Wilson Contreras last night used one of those by going and getting pine tar on an 0-2 count and restarting his clock. So from what you've seen, is this similar to the NFL where you have the play clock and – the referee 
there's almost like an extra second involved in that because by the time he looks up and looks back down to see if the ball is snapped, well, it could be a violation, but he's got to confirm that. Are the umpires doing that? Machado was arguing that's a full count in the bottom of the first. Yep. And it was out number he three. struck out on an automatic strike. Yep, out um, number three. And I wonder how much leniency is given to the eight seconds. I, I've been watching this thing. You know, we talked to Michael McHenry yesterday. I can't take my eyes off of it I'm because it's something umpire, new. Umpire to umpire, I'm saying. Yeah, I, Hutton, it hasn't been close yet. I mean, they are in well, there ready to go. Like, I'm not, I'm not seeing a lot of boys right up against that clock. I mean, they're in there ready with 14, 15 seconds left on the clock, not nine or yeah. getting close to eight. The Machado thing looks weird now because it looks like any other baseball at bat the last 20 years. With the time. But he's just standing there with one foot out of the box, and he's messing with his armbands and doing something. And then you can see kind of quickly tries to call timeout, and instead he gets rung up on the pitch clock violation. So I don't think it's been a big issue yet. I mean, there's been one in 65 games played up to that point yesterday. That was the 66th game of the season. That's a pretty good ratio right now to start it out and not have people doing it. And I think the longer it goes, everyone's going to adjust. And it's going to look like a baseball game from the 80s where people just naturally played faster. Pitchers were ready quicker. Batters were ready quicker. And the action kept moving. The Women's National Championship averaged 9.9 million viewers uh, just behind the men's title game, 14.6 million and keep in mind, the women's championship game compared to last year, last year, 5.6 million. That was the all-time high. Now it's nearly doubled that. The discussion, though, has been about Angel Reese and her celebration slash taunting slash everything with Caitlin Clark, who did similar things in the previous two games for Iowa. And the talk continued on the I Am Athlete podcast where Angel Reese is responding and discussing why she felt the way she did about Iowa also, at least the White House was trying, uh, First Lady Jill Biden trying to invite both teams to the White House. We saw the response. We discussed it yesterday. But we haven't heard from Angel Reese specifically on this until she sat down with Brandon Marshall. When we were to lose, we would not be getting invited to the White House. And I remember she made a comment about both teams should be invited because it would be the it was sports, sportsmanship. And I'm like, are you saying that because of what I did and what like that stuff like that? It, it bothers me because you are a woman at the end of the day. And you're supposed to be standing behind us before anything. So it's hard to see things like that and not to comment back on it. And she continued her comments with Brandon Marshall on the I Am Athlete podcast discussing the response to Jill Biden, and why they didn't want Biden in the locker room pregame, which was offered to both teams. A lot of phone calls, and that's why she wants to come out and apologize, but at the same time, the damage is I don't done. accept the, I'm not going to lie to you, I don't accept the apology because mm -hmm. of, you Jill, said what you Jill said. Biden. Yeah. First the, lady. The first wife. Lady. Yeah. You said first what you lady. said. I said what I said, and like, you can't go back on certain things that you, you say, I mean, you felt like they, they should have came because of sportsmanship, right? They can have that spot. Like, we'll go to the Obamas. We'll, 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 we'll see Michelle. We'll see Barack. Hold on, hold on. So did, did you guys speak to the first lady? No. Apparently, she was supposed to come to our locker room before the game, but we said no. Before the game? Yeah. They were all. She was supposed to come to our locker room and go to Iowa's locker room. I don't know if she talked to, the, to lock them. I don't know if she did. But we said we didn't want to. We didn't We didn't want her coming Why? to the locker room. I think Joe Biden had put somebody else to win a national championship. He didn't even put us on his, his bracket to get out of Baton Rouge. So I was like, bet. I mean, I, there's so many things to, to pick Lots out of Lots to unpack. Lots to unpack. Where, where do we start? Um, 
first off, women's basketball had eyeballs on it because of Caitlin Clark. I yes. think we can all say that. Yes. She, she was the superstar. She was the celebrity going into it. Starting the Elite Didn't eight. know much about Angel Reese until she, until she had a great game. She was terrific in the game and is a really good player, but until she did the you-can't-see-me taunt afterward. But I, I got to give Angel Reese credit. She's keeping the story alive. Yeah. And she's keeping the momentum for interest in women's basketball alive with everything she says. So from a publicity standpoint, this is brilliant because she's going to keep us talking about it. I love this story. Some on the YouTube chat saying, oh, I'm so sick of this story. Angel Reese can keep talking for all I care because every time she opens her mouth, it's something that is worth talking about. Um, she seems like a very angry young woman when she says that she would not allow the First Lady of the United States into the locker room, and the team said no because her husband picked LSU to not make it out of their regional in his bracket. In the bracket. That, that's a very odd <laughs> rationale to not welcome the First Lady of the United States who just wants to greet you before the game. It would probably take all of 15 to 20 seconds to come in and say hello. That's very odd to me. It's also weird. I, I hate the forced apology, and I think Jill Biden has been forced into an apology to apologize for just mentioning that she also wanted to invite Iowa to the White House, even though that never even happened. But she apologizes, and Angel Reese says, I don't accept your apology. I said what I said. You said what you said. I don't even accept your apology. I mean, look, what she's doing is adding more fuel to this fire and keeping interest going. But, man, that's pretty harsh, right? Well, the, and also like referring to the first lady as the lady. Yeah. You know, it's just all very – it, it goes back, I think, to Did what – Did the Obamas invite you? I know she said, we'll go see yeah, the we'll Obamas. I'm like, is that, that's another story. Just if, roll up. If she's getting the, the invite or you're well, just showing up at their home. So, regardless of president, if you're the team, go to the White House. Of course. I mean, the, but now it's gotten to a point where the, the first lady can't even come into the locker room and say hello pregame because of a bracket. How stupid is this? And, but and, it goes back to what you said yesterday, like the, the, the taunting at the end of the championship game and the motivating factors that are used for, you know, the, the, all of the pregame antics to get wired in mentally to that game. You know, you, we've talked to a former NFL players that would make up stories and then actually use the made-up stories in their mind uh, as trash talk in a game, and players are looking back and going, dude, what are you talking about? We know a couple guys like that. Um, in this case, it's just like, oh, they're not defending the three. Oh, they're, you know, here's the can't see me. And it went to the extreme in the final minute. Yeah, it's, it's just wild, this level of animosity. You know, even after winning the national championship, that there's this level of, of chip on the shoulder. And maybe that's what makes Angel Reese great. And clearly she's going to be motivated to win a back-to-back -back championship next year based on all this. Another thing that I really despise is when you say, Jill Biden's a woman. She should defend us no matter what. She, she must have our back. And I just think that's so short-sighted. People can be people and, you know... It, I'm a man. I'm not going to defend every man and every action they have and everything they say. Just like women are really smart beings that can defend or not another woman if they so choose. I hate the idea that she's supposed to have our back as a woman and she can't criticize me. And Caitlin Clark went a little bit over the top with, no one could ever criticize Angel Reese for this ever. You have no right to criticize her. Don't ever criticize And I'm thinking, let's, let's chill out a little bit. I, I love this. 
WWE type feud we have going here. I with mean, Angel Reese versus Caitlin Clark. It's Angel Reese versus the world well, right but, now. Jill Biden, Joe Biden, everyone except the Obamas. She's against. But what? The, and that is adding to the interest in the sport. But man, like this is getting intense. And I, I, I laugh at it because of the, you can't see me is through John Cena, who is yes. the most Disney-like rated G character. Yes. That they have in WWE. This isn't Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, double fisting beers and giving you the middle finger. This is the animated version of the WWE as taunting is, goes on in the national championship game. Jake in the chat also says, turning down the late first lady pregame does change the story. I thought about this also. It does seem more spiteful now, Jill Biden, to say Iowa should come too because Iowa did not turn down the invitation pregame. LSU did. Well, the invitation, the- no, no the, the invitation was to come in the locker room and speak to the team. Yes. Not not go to the White House. She didn't say that until postgame. No, but I'm saying I she went and visited Iowa pregame. She asked to talk to both teams know, pregame. I don't know if she did or not. Well, if in fact Iowa said yes and LSU said no, that would lead me to believe that Jill Biden in part said oh, let's invite Iowa so. also because the girls on this team didn't even let me in their in their locker room before the game. Yeah, Angel Reese Could said, part said in that clip that she doesn't know if if Biden went to the the Iowa locker room or not. You got to get Caitlin Clark back on a, in an interview and ask her. <laughs> I know. Did oh, you meet, next to speak. Did you meet Dr. Jill Biden before the game? Uh, the, the rally is on. The, the serve has been made. The plot thickens. Yep. Uh, coming up, Bobby Carpenter joins us. We will hit the headlines the from the spring. There's a lot of quarterback movement in college football. And there's also headlines uh, with the Pac-12, the TV rights deal, and more. That's straight ahead on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hot Mike rolls on, 6 the Peabody, our location. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Honey Withrow and the teacher, the professor. The Bobby prof. Carpenter joins us weekly at this time. He's got tenure. Yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, He's got tenure on this show, at least. Bobby, is this week four of the course of six? Yes, I believe so. I'll have to go back and look because I was talking to the students today about the next couple of weeks. I think we have our exam in three weeks. So, yeah, we've got to. Got a handful of weeks left, if you will. Will you be watching Mr. Holland's Opus in class today <laughs> or Wall Street? Which movie are you going to go with that you're going to show the, the class? Uh, you know, that's a question. I mean, maybe maybe Wolf of Wall Street either. There we go. I mean, you watch the, that's a, I mean, there's all kinds, all kinds of ways you can go with that, but we don't typically have a lot of big movie days in there. Uh, try, to, try to drop some education in the best I can. Pac-12 and the media rights deal, a, a, a hot topic right now, 15 months until their current agreement will expire. And a CBS report says that, well, an opinion of, of one of the media analysts, they're not going to find a, a TV partner that will air at least, at least 50% of their games in the conference, that they're going to have to piecemeal this together. And that will likely spell doom for the ability to keep some of these programs and and schools in their conference. What do you make of 
of just hearing that. And also, in two or three years, what do you think the Pac-12 looks like? It's a great question as far as where do you think they go from here. That, that's really it. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they can maybe piecemeal, like you said, some of it together. I still think that late window, the 10 o'clock window, there's something that they could probably put in there. Um, and I don't know if that's with ESPN as a partner or who that p- could potentially be. But I think there's the ability to get some of that done. Um, maybe they have some of it streamed. But ideally, I mean, you want to try to have at least two-thirds to 75% of your games on uh, linear television if you're the Pac-12. And I, I don't know if that's the case right now. Just you look at the number of teams that are in there. They need to add some teams in. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be adding, be able to add anybody that will significantly create value. You know, you start talking about San Diego State get thrown around. I mean, is it a BYU? Could you po- poach them off? Do you try to bring in a Boise? Like, I'm not exactly sure how it looks, but they've got to do something to try to get some markets to get try to get people excited and get them involved. And I don't know if there's anybody that's going to be a huge win with this, but if you have to piece it together with a combination of ESPN, maybe some stream, maybe a little Amazon, I'm not sure how it looks, but you have to find a way to get visibility. Because if you can't find programming now, it dies. And that's the reality of it. When I'm watching football, I don't know if I want to be jumping around through five different apps to try to find it. So while maybe one streaming partner is okay, you need to make sure that you have some linear options as well. And whether, like I said, you know, ESPN's held that night window. I don't know if that's something that they'd be interested in still having or, you know, whether it's you know, a CBS or a Fox or whoever it could ultimately be. They need to find a way to at least cap and captivate and grab that, that late window because that's one that they should own. Is there any program out there, Bobby, from a football standpoint that's worth it in terms of addition? We've heard the rumors about San Diego State and SMU, and now those rumors have shifted to, well, maybe the Big 12 wants San Diego State, and they're more attractive, so they can go add them. You mentioned a Boise State. With the latest addition of the Big 12, of all those schools, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU coming in, those were the top dogs. Do you see another program out there that actually adds legitimate value to one of these Power 5 conferences if they're put in a situation where they have to add programs? I don't see it. I mean, the Big 12 did a great job of adding schools that may not be preeminent powers, but are in big markets. And so you start looking at Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati's in a big market. You look at Houston, they're in a big market. You're going out to Florida, you've got some of the market there you're pulling in. And so, yes, there's some opportunity. I mean, that's some news in Dallas. You know, are they TCU? No. Is it Texas? Is it Oklahoma? It's not even Texas Tech, but still, it, like, gives you access into that market. You know, number one, for some TV and some presence, but number two, also for recruiting. And I think San Diego State, you know, as much as they may not think that they're adding a ton of value, you have to have a Southern California market when you start looking at uh, the Pac-12. I mean, heck, maybe a Fresno you know, in there. I know that the Pac-12 is very highbrow when it comes to who they're letting in. SMU would probably check the box. Maybe not a a lot of other schools really would, but you've got to find a way. If you're really interested in being a Power 5 football program, you have to find a way to get into some of those geographic markets where there's a lot of people and hope that you can produce a product that they will start to fall in love with. So every time we start talking about addition, subtraction from, from conferences, we start to think again about 
reshuffling a little bit to what makes more sense for programs. This happens a lot with ACC and SEC. You know, Clemson, Florida State are more SEC schools. They should add them or whoever it may be. One that I was thinking about, Bobby, is Missouri. Would Missouri make more sense for the Big Ten? If, in fact, you just had a perfect world of you could swap or add or subtract, do you, would you see Missouri being a more natural fit in the Big Ten as opposed to the SEC? They're a much more natural fit than Nebraska. And that was the argument when they brought Nebraska in. It's like, are you going to bring anybody else from the West? You know, it's like a Western outpost out there for Nebraska. But if you add Missouri, all of a sudden now you're pulling in some of that St. Louis market, which Ohio State and a lot of their schools typically recruit pretty well out there. Yeah, Missouri strikes me as more of a Midwestern state than a Midwestern school, you know, with what they try to do and how they try to operate than an SEC school. And like they had some measured success early on in the SEC East, which that's another thing. I mean, they're in the East. Now I know we're breaking down, you know, divisions, but they're in the East and they're one of the furthest West schools you could find. And they did have some success early on when, you know, Florida and Georgia and Tennessee really weren't at the peak of their powers. Uh, But yeah, they fit a lot more, I think, structurally. In the Big Ten, there's a lot of people that were curious as to why they didn't bring them in and why they didn't do that initially. Uh, but I think it came down to the fact that while they are valuable, they're not as valuable as what Nebraska was on a dollar uh, dollar amount, and so they didn't want to split the pie anymore. And that's kind of where most of these conferences look. Like even the SEC, you talk about adding Clemson and Florida State. If you're adding those schools, it's simply a vanity ad. You already own the South Carolina market. You know, you already own the Florida market. Both of those schools are good, but if you're Florida or if you're Georgia, if you're South Carolina, I mean, do you really want another school that's potentially coming in in your footprint in the conference? And now the rest of the schools saying, hey, these schools are only worth $60 million with their TV deal, but yet we're all making 80. So now when we bring them in, we're all going to be making, you know, 76. Like, I don't think that that's something that a lot of those schools and ADs are interested in doing. Bobby, did you see Hugh Freeze's idea uh, for getting a re- getting being done with the spring game, but adding in a scrimmage with an in-state institution, an in-state team? Um, what do you make of that? What do you what's your feeling of the spring practice in general leading up to that game? That I mean, most of these things have rules now that don't even look like football. Yeah, and that's the way the coaches don't want to get anybody hurt when you're playing against each other. However, I do think if you you have to, the coaches have to be on the same page. And that's why the NFL works so well with those joint practices because coaches can schedule them, they can build situations and do stuff, and they can make sure nobody gets hurt. And if both the coaches, you know, while they recruit against each other and they're battling for eyeballs and loyalty within the state, hey, we'll play our starters each a quarter, we're going to do this, and then we'll get our young guys some good work. But, you know, we're staying off the quarterbacks because nobody needs that to ha- you know, happen. And, and everybody's got to follow the rules. And if you could do that, I think it would be great, number one, be fantastic content because you can't tell me that people wouldn't want to watch that stuff. I think it would be tremendous. Um, And then also, I think it's a way to kind of get your guys a little better, especially younger players who maybe don't have that game experience. The spring game used to be that, but it's been so watered down that it doesn't really give you that same same level of competition that you're going to see in the fall. So this would kind of stimulate a little bit of that. And like this kind of harkens back to a time that there was a guy who I played with um, uh, there was a guy who I played with at, uh, he played at Arizona state. His name was Kyle Kozier. And he told me his freshman year at Arizona state, they still had the alumni spring game where they would play against their alumni. 
and guys who had played, like some of the dudes had just got out of the NFL or maybe they, you know, two or three years removed from college, but they would put together like alumni team and there'd be like 80 guys and they'd be cycling them all through. He goes, and it was great because they'd get worn down, but then fresh guys would come in. He goes, but on the offense and defensive line, man, like you had some dudes with some man strength and they could manhandle you if you're a freshman or sophomore for a handful of plays, then they'd sub out. A lot of me said smelled like beer from the night before. <laughs> he goes, I mean, that was entertaining. He goes, it was fun. Like, my parents came and watched. He goes, it was fun watching you play against older guys. So you got to do something here to make them more relevant because they just turned into, like, glorified practices. You get more out of watching, you know, a spring inter-squad scrimmage that they may have the third Saturday than you do, you know, watching a spring game. Final thing for you. Anytime Ohio State wide receiving and recruiting is mentioned, Brian Hartline's name is mentioned. What makes him so dominant in that in that lane? And got another five star this week. Uh, yeah, I know. And where is he? Where, what path is he on for the future of coaching for Brian Hartline? I, I think the path is kind of whatever he wants it to be. Um, you know, he just he had a kid, his third child, fairly recently. Um, his wife is from you know Gahanna, a suburb of Columbus. He's an Ohio guy. I think he really enjoys being here. He just got promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, you know, when you become a head coach, you have more problems, and not that I don't think Brian would want to be a head coach someday. Not that I don't think maybe he would want to coach in the NFL someday. But I, if I, Brian was, you know, I played with him in college. Um, I think he's pretty happy. He's pretty content here. And it's tough not to be when you're able to literally go and look at, you know, the top 10 receivers every year and pick the two or three that you want. I mean, that's what he basically does. He brings those guys in. He has an incredibly competitive room. He outlines what the expectations are going to be. You're going to compete hard. I'm going to coach you really well. I'm going to prepare you for the NFL and you're going to have a great college career if you listen and do what I tell you. And it's really, it's a great, you know, it's, it's telling, not selling. Like you don't have to sell anything because he's been through it. He's lived it. And he understands what it's like to play, you know, and wear that uniform and then play in the NFL. And Brian was a, a good athlete, but he got a lot out of his ability by his, you know, understanding of routes, leverage, you know, coverages. And now he's able to relay this to those guys. And, and when you have a guy like Marvin Harrison, who is a Hall of Famer, who's going to entrust his son, who's a heck of a player to you, like it's really easy then to go recruit other players because they know how good he was. They know how good his son has become. And if you have a guy with that level of skill who's going to could send his son anywhere and says, this is the guy I want to coach him, all right, then I think that's a pretty easy selling point. So I don't think he's in a hurry to get go anywhere else right now. Maybe at some point in time in the future, I'd never rule it out for him. Um but I love talking to Brian. I mean, like I said, he's one of my former teammates. Him and James Laronitis is here. So it's, it's great when we can all grab a meal after practice and kind of reminisce about, you know, 20 years ago. A meal after practice and a meal after class. That's where Bobby's headed right now, the professor. And uh, you can check him out on SiriusXM Channel 84. Appreciate it as always, man. Right, Withrow, thank you guys, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bobby. Always. Catch up next week. There's Bobby Carpenter at bcarp 3 that movie on time social. at your class today. That's right. Uh, coming up, Chad, we've got, what, about 45 minutes until Clay joins us. Maybe 30 minutes now. 30 minutes, we'll say. It's been and, lowered to 30. Okay, 30. We're down to 30 now. The countdown is on for Clay's appearance. <laughs> and uh, Nate Bargatze, comedian in studio with us in hour number three. But when we come back, we air our top grievance of the week. We are pissed off for greatness. Primary complaint is next on Hot Mike.
Hot Mike rolls on, 6th and Peabody, our location. Streaming live on all platforms. Outkick.com is where you can find us. We're back. That's right. We're back, baby. And we're back with primary complaints. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Hot Mike's primary complaint. My primary complaint this week, guys, hand dryers in bathrooms over paper towels. Hand dryers, these hot air, the Dyson blade is the one here where you like wash your hands and you put your hands down in this thing and it just swirls air that has been previously, you know, uh, spreading germs everywhere. And you ask how many, how much? Um, according to CNBC, the bathroom hand dryer for 30 seconds, 254 colonies of bacteria from the toilet. And they know this because they put something right outside of the hand dryer that would reduce the bacteria from this toilet. And it did. But the hand dryer that didn't have that spreading germs all over your hands after you wash them. And I love how it says washing your hands is still the best way to, to uh, kill bacteria. And the best way to dry them is with paper towels. That's my primary complaint. It's something great about a good paper towel. Something else that's great, this is the opposite of primary complaint. The, uh, the little washcloth they give you when you get wings or ribs, also. The, the, well, but the moist towelette is also a, a very nice we, little surprise. This is, like, uh, this is like the hotels that you, know, you have to request now to have you know, your towels swapped out or whatever. Yeah. And they act like they're saving the environment. They're doing it because it saves money. That's why they're doing it. Oh, money. What makes the world go around? Speaking of money, uh, I don't spend a lot of money on myself anymore because I have two kids. And this is my primary complaint. There are days I come in here, I'm fired up, I'm angry. During primary complaint today, I'm just kind of sad, a little bit melancholy, because what I did before the show today was I drove to a store and I purchased socks for myself for the first time in nearly a decade. I think there's been three or four Olympics that have taken place since the last time I purchased socks for myself. I have holes in them. I don't know why I don't get other ones. And I just sat there thinking, you know, Chad without kids would have had no problem just going to a store and buying something for himself. Socks. But you have one kid, then you have a second kid, and they're the joy of your life. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But you lose complete sight of little things for yourself. <laughs> like how great it feels to go and spend $25 on a six-pack of athletic socks for yourself. <laughs> and I'm looking at this bag of socks, and I'm thinking, I get to wear these while I coach softball tonight. Or I get to wear these when I go for a run tomorrow. And the joy that that brought me just brought me right back down to earth about how sad it is that I'm experiencing so much joy over buying a pack of athletic socks for myself for the first time in nearly a decade. This is a primary complaint that hits home for me. It probably hits home for a lot of parents out there as well. And it's my primary complaint this week. Davey, you're up next. Guys, my primary complaint is something that I shouldn't have to complain about simply because it is an actual law. But it revolves around drivers not turning on their lights when it's raining. I mean, this shouldn't be that complicated. Whenever it's dark, you're supposed to have your lights off, lights on. And I know there are some people that will continue to keep them off. But you do not realize, most people, at least in my opinion, like how hard it is to see them, especially if like, you're on the interstate, there's a lot of mist. I, I've been on this one since I was 16. I had an accident where somebody did not have their lights on. And fortunately, they did not... 
want to have the cops called to the scene. One, I don't think they had any insurance. There's a lot of other issues around there. But like ever since then, I have just been beating that drum of if I ever am in that situation again and I'm involved in a wreck, like even if I'm at fault and they do not have their headlights on, I'm making sure they leave with a citation in that regard. It's just something like I I don't care. Like I'm just going to hammer that one until the cows come home. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this because it's not about those that are driving like, oh, if I can see, I don't need my lights. No, no. It's about being seen. It's yes. the other way around. It's for the and other drivers. I maintain the other driver is the dumber of the two of us. So I would rather avoid the accident from the idiot by turning the lights on even when there's, you know, visibility for me despite the mist that Davey can't drive through in his car. I think that it's... I, um, I mean, I can get through just fine. It's just... If I'm going to merge, I mean, I use my tele or I use my turn signal and everything, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a great driver, by the way. I'm sure you I, like, are. I'm not. I, I so the assumption always has to be that the other driver is the idiot. Like if you go into every situation thinking it's about defensive driving, they teach you in driving what? school. You just assume the other one might mess up, right. and then that'll help your driving skills. So assume everyone else is an idiot when you're driving, and that'll help you avoid accidents. You have to assume that you're the only one as the defensive driver. Yeah, assume that, I, hey, I know what's up, and this person doesn't. How many wrecks do you think there are where people are like, yeah, we're good, let's leave, because of the insurance thing? I've, I've probably experienced two or three of those moments where either I've been rear-ended barely, yeah. and I get out of the car, and I turn around, and I'm, oh, okay, so it's fine, just let's keep going, or the opposite. I love that you found the joy in socks, because you love socks. I love that, dress socks, and there, I, there I were get... Like a, there, were like a, there was like a run of what, five or six years where you would get this every year. But here's the, and I'm not, look, I'm, I'm not crying poverty here or anything, okay? But the problem with when you pronounce that you like dress socks, like crazy dress You're socks, gonna get them. guess what I get? It's like the dad who gets a tie from his kid every yeah. year. Yeah. I'm going to get dress socks at all times. And I've got some pretty nice, you know, dress <laughs> socks. That's fine. But it's just the little things like, you know what? I need to go buy this. And you almost feel bad for admitting that you've got to buy something for yourself. Like, if you're not buying something for your children, you turn into this thing that you feel like you're being selfish for buying yourself socks. It's, it's a weird feeling that I somehow felt guilt about going to the store and buying myself socks for the first time in a decade. Buying them or buying them for the price that was listed? I mean, I spent, it was like Under Armour socks at a Dick's Sporting Goods. I spent 25 bucks on a six-pack. They're oh, nice. I mean, they're good socks. Good. They're good. ankle socks. I mean, How bad do you let your socks get before you throw them out? Pretty bad. Well, clearly awful because I haven't gotten any in a decade. Here's the other thing I found out today. A batting tee yeah. is like $160. <laughs> now, I had to go to a different store to find a $12.99 small tee because my three-year-old likes to hit off a tee now when she watches her sister. And the, time to coach the tea again. I got, it said $39.99. I get to the register, and it's like, your total with everything is going to be $178.54. And I said, what? How much is the tea? $119 for a tea is, that adjusts. Which is more than the glove, because we went through all this. I, I, it, it blew my mind. I said, I'm not getting that. That's not the price that was listed underneath it. The bat was around that same price or no? Bright, the bat I got, I, I didn't go for the most expensive, but like $70, $70, yeah. $80. Playing baseball now or softball is an expensive, expensive Practice. sport if you go all out. Well, especially when you're starting now. I got a six-pack. Well, how pack. much of the stuff that you've purchased can... It, a lot of it can carry over, but I got a six-pack of practice balls today for twenty seven ninety nine. 
six balls that I can just add to my bucket of balls that I'll throw, you know, pitch to the girls. I, see, I feel like that's, a, that's as much a purchase for you as it is for the girls. Well, it is a purchase for me because when I practice one-on-one with my daughter, it saves me from going out yeah. and getting, retrieving the balls. Now I get six more pitches in before I have to do that, <laughs> which helps me. It's less going out to get the balls that have been hit. Everything that you're describing sounds like a, uh, a, a new bit for Bargatze. Oh, I, me and Nate could probably get together on some material with the, with the dad life of, of different things. I doubt Nate has time to coach his kids' teams because he's on the road so much. Or the much. golf course, yeah. But we can, yeah, and when he's home, he's golfing. Yeah. <laughs> Not with them. Um, but we can, I'm sure, compare notes. Nate Bargatze, uh, of course, with a Netflix special now, Amazon Prime Video, making the, the tour. Uh, the arenas now, instead of the comedy clubs. He'll be in studio with us in about an hour and 15 minutes or so. Clay Travis with us in 20 minutes. We'll hit the top headlines, though, in return. It includes uh, reports that teams are on the move, trying to get to the third overall selection ahead of Indianapolis. And that headline coincides with a headline from Indy that says Jim Ursay wants the team to draft a quarterback and not sign and and trade for a quarterback, uh, Lamar Jackson. But if you're picking fourth, you're probably getting the fourth quarterback available. Is that good enough? We'll start there and we'll discuss the options Arizona has despite the dysfunction of their franchise over the years.